Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Hey, folks, just want to take a couple minutes before we get started today to uh, remind you to try to have fun during our season of COVID. You know, I noticed a couple weeks ago that I was going, you know, uh, hours, you know, between smiles, if you will, and it started to, to weigh on me. And I had to remind myself to have fun. Let's get ready to get into the word today. Father, open eyes, illuminate hearts, and we will give you all the glory for what you accomplished today. And I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Now, last week, we covered the first half of chapter one of the book of Revelations. And this is a book that most people are frightened of and afraid of. But we discovered something in the very first uh, verse of, of this book, which is really a key to the entire book. And, and it says this, the revelation or literally the unveiling of Jesus Christ. So this book is all about the mind, the perspective and the person of Jesus Christ. So get rid of all fear and let's dig in together over the next couple of weeks uh, into the, the meaning of this book and all of the, the rich things that this book has to offer us. Today, we're going to pick up in uh, verse 8 of, of chapter 1, right where we left off last week. Powerful now as he ever has been or ever will be. And then it ends, this, this, this statement ends, the not a or not and. This is the, this is the term that was used literally for God himself, the almighty. And last week we ended talking about the Pentocrator. Uh, we, we covered it. And by the way, it's, it's, it's worth your time to go back to what we studied last week. So the light bulbs can, can come on because you couldn't have caught it all in, in just one uh, setting. But he's basically saying here is he is the one who has his hand on everything and is moving history uh, toward glorifying him and his goodness. And everything is absolutely under his uh, control. John picks up in verse nine and he says this, I, John. Now, the way he begins here and actually he uh, digresses a little bit. He, he, he's, he's letting us know by what he's doing here that he had reached a place in his uh, life where he could be identified by just using his first name. Now, that's a rare place and actually a very high place uh, in a person's career, if you will, for, for them to only be recognized by, by, by one name, you know, like Oprah, like Bezos, like uh, Tiger, like Denzel. Uh, Picasso, you know, uh, those names are, are pretty unusual. And because of that, they stand out and, and you say, well, that's probably part of the reasons why they can use one name. But the name John was actually the most common name amongst Jewish people in the ancient world. So uh, for him to just say John was, was really said something about who he was. So today, if I said Michael, you, you might ask, well, Michael Jackson or Michael Jordan. If I said Martin, you might say, well, you're talking about uh, Martin Luther King or Martin Luther. But John was of such repute as the a last living uh, or surviving uh, apostle out of the 12 apostles that uh, the fact that he can only mention uh, his first name uh, without further description lets us know that this had to be the John uh, because there was no other John that, that could do this the way John is doing this. He says, both your brother 
and companion in tribulation. Now, tribulation is another word here for, for, for suffering. So, you know, when it, when it comes to pain, your title doesn't matter. So if he called himself the apostle, the, the, the great apostle, the one Jesus loved, it really uh, didn't matter here because uh, there's no such thing as pastoral hurt or, or apostolic hurt, if you will. When cut, we all bleed the same way. And when it comes to pain, we are all brothers and Sisters. So here John is coming alongside of us saying, hey, I'm going through it. I'm suffering. I'm, I'm facing things just like each and every one of you. I don't have some special standing where I don't feel some of the same things that you feel. And then he goes on and says, uh, companion, which is an important world word here. He says that basically he's our partner. He's our, our, our coach and our friend traveling on the same road in tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. Now, John is saying that Jesus's current kingdom must face and will face opposition. So Christ's kingdom is, is current and, and it's, it, it's now, but it is not fully established or will not be fully established until Christ comes. So it's established in our hearts, but it has not been established in the world. And this is why patience is so critical for us. Now, patience is not just the ability to, 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 to wait, but to keep a good attitude while waiting. And this is important. He said, I, John, was on the island. Now, Tertullian tells us that right before he was sent uh, to, to Patmos, which we're about to read about, uh, the emperor tried to boil him in a vat of oil. And guess what? He didn't burn. And it was, it, was, it was a marvelous situation, and it should have turned the emperor to the Lord. But instead, he just got angry. He said, well, I can't burn, burn you, so I'm going to banish you uh, to the isle that's called Pat Patmos, which was this cheerless, lonely, uh, rocky island on the Aegean Sea that kind of served like a, a, a jail without uh, bars. It was a little bit like our Alcatraz, but it, it was a place of forced labor for, for the inmates. Uh, why, why was he there? Why did this happen? Did John do something wrong? He was there for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, by this time, John was in his 90s. He had lived a full life. All of the other uh, apostles had been martyred by this time. And by this time, he should be enjoying his family, his retirement, and uh, be surrounded by those he, he, he loved. But he chose to, to, to die fighting for something rather than live longer for nothing. And th this is important. And we see the courage of this, this great man. And there's really no greater cause in my mind and heart uh, than to live for sharing the message of Jesus Christ to those that are, are perishing and those that are, are going in, off into uh, the, 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 the netherworld. And, and he was passionate uh, about, again, serving humanity. And I know many of you uh, are, are the same way. That's why you're part of a local church, because together we can do so much uh, more. He says, I was in the spirit uh, more. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now, this means that this was Sunday, by the way, Sunday was resurrection day. So the early church met on Sundays, and this is how they honored the resurrection. This is why today we meet 
on Sunday versus uh, the Sabbath on, on Saturday. But I want you to notice that when worship time rolled around for John, instead of feeling sorry for himself, licking his wounds and saying, you know, I'm too old for this. How, how has this happened to me? God, when are you going to show up and get me out of here? Um, John worshiped God so much that he was caught up in the spirit. And he was caught up into God's literal world beyond our five physical senses. And by the way, this is the place we're all going to go when we pass from this realm. Uh, death for the believer is not a cessation of, of existence. Actually, the unbeliever as well. Death is not the cessation of existence. Um, uh, all it is is a, a, a transfer. Uh, what's happening is we're moving our lives to, to, to our, our, our infinite, our eternal better uh, realm. And uh, John, though, he's handling this, this situation in an incredible way. And as you've heard me say before, life is 20% what happens to you and 80% how you respond. And, and John continues here. He says, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Now, this was not the mortal Jesus that needed uh, hills, uh, mounts, sometimes the shoreline uh, for acoustics and to project his voice. But this was the voice of, voice of the immortal, resurrected Jesus that had a voice that projected like a trumpet. So th this, this is, again, our image of Jesus is, is typically um, the image of him either before the cross or on the cross. But what John is doing is filling in the blanks, and he's giving us a revelation of the resurrected Jesus. This is why the book of Revelation is so vital uh, in our, our, our spiritual development. Verse 11. And Jesus said this, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. Once again, he said this before, he reminds us he's the A to Z to everything uh, that, that, of everything that matters and the one that will bring uh, all creation to its intended conclusion. And then he said to John, what you see right in a book. And it seems here that unless Jesus commanded John, he probably would not have written this down. And this is important to hear. Everything is not for public consumption. Everything should not be posted on the internet. Everything doesn't need to be said in public. Discretion is simply uh, another word for common sense. So stop telling and showing everyone everything. And he said, send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, uh, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. These were uh, seven churches that were actually all established along the same Roman uh, road in the province called Asia. And as Paul wrote uh, to seven churches, actually more than seven epistles, but he only wrote to seven churches. Now John sends his letters to seven churches. And the seven churches were, were, were selected here to address the very current and, and very real challenges and commendations that, that Jesus had for the churches that existed at that time. But also, he captures the state of all churches in coming history. So when we look at these churches, we're going to be able to identify ourselves or at least identify us in a season uh, of our, our, our spiritual growth. Verse 12. But it's going to take us a couple of weeks to be able to do that. Then I turned to the sea, oh, I'm sorry, then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me. Now, John was obviously surprised by it all. Uh, this, he hears this voice behind him and, and, and you know, he's, he's, he's somewhat startled, but he was willing to take a closer 
look. And whether you turn to God today really is going to determine how much you see. John was willing again to turn, which literally means to, to repent. He made an adjustment so he could see more. And if you want to see more, you need to turn to God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And having turned, I saw, watch this, seven golden, this will matter later, what are the lampstands made out of gold? Seven golden lampstands. Now, this was not the typical Jewish menorah. These were freestanding oil lamps. Why did the Holy Spirit use the imagery of lamps? Because ancient lamps did not produce light uh, in themselves or of themselves. They needed a steady supply of oil, and they also needed fire. And basically what we see here, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but in a moment we're going to see that these lampstands represent uh, the church, but the church needs the, the oil of the Holy Spirit and the fire of God in order to impact our community and, and our world. Verse 13, and in the midst of these candlesticks, literally towering above these candlesticks or lampstands, I'm sorry, King James Version is how I learned the Bible, uh, one like the son of man was standing. So why was Jesus standing here and not somewhere else? Uh, we're going to see this more clearly uh, in, a, in a few verses. But, but what I want you to notice uh, right here is out of everything that John could describe about Jesus, I mean, he's, he sees a remarkable image of, of our Savior. I mean, he, he, he could have mentioned, you know, hey, you know, his eyes were burning like fire. They were absolutely piercing and marvelous. He, he could have mentioned his feet of brass. He, he could have mentioned, you know, out of his mouth came a two-edged sword. You know, for me, that probably would have been first on, on my mind. But instead, he writes this, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. Now, this is a little foreign to us, but... Uh, the readers uh, of, of, of Revelation were steeped in uh, the Old Testament, and they understood what this imagery uh, meant. And in Exodus uh, chapter 28, verse 39, this was actually the attire of the high priest. And Jesus is letting us know that uh, he relates to the seven lampstands, which I let out a little bit early, actually is the church. Uh, not as he will the rest of the world in the rest of the chapters, but he relates to the church as a merciful and compassionate high priest. So he's standing amidst the lampstands as a high priest. So what he was saying was his work as the mediator between God and man, his work as uh, our atoning a sacrifice had been completed. Everything had been accomplished. This was not a high priest that was about to go into the holies of holies and, and offer blood. This was a high priest that actually had already done it and was standing in the glory of uh, his uh, achievement. Let's continue. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. As older people, you know, uh, uh, they tend to, to, to get white hair. We tend to get white hair as we get older. And we know that, that typically wisdom comes with age. And the Bible says a hoary or a gray hair a head is, is a crown here. The whiteness of his hair here represents Jesus' infinite wisdom. He knows 
all. He understands all. He, he knows how to, to interact with all. He is all wise. And his eyes like a flame of fire. So typically, you know, they didn't have light bulbs and electricity like we, we, we do now. Um, his eyes uh, uh, were literally lit. So he didn't need environmental help in order to see through all the facades, to see through the darkness. He literally had the means within himself to see all and uncover all. The Bible says, from him nothing is hidden. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined by a furnace. Now, for the interest, in the interest of time, I'm not going to uh, dig into to this, but we do know, and you've heard said before, and you can study this out yourself, typically in the Bible, brass represents judgment. It was the brazen altar where sins were judged and an animal died. And then when you went inside of the tabernacle, you started to see gold. But on the outside, uh, we, we, we see the, the, the judgment of God. But we also know that brass is a very, very, very heavy uh, metal. And um, it represents here that Jesus will easily crush all of his opponents under his feet. And if you've ever tried to pick up brass, it's no joke. And his feet are of brass, and you don't want to get under the feet of the resurrected Jesus. And his voice as the sound of many waters. So his voice had the roar of a waterfall. I mean, this, this is a powerful image. And uh, we're going to see in a moment how John responds to all he sees. He had in his right hand, which is the, the place of privilege and strength and protection and care, seven stars. Now, in, in the end, we're going we're gonna to discover what these seven stars are about, and, and I'm going to keep the secret until we get there. Uh, but out of his mouth, when a sharp two-edged sword. Now, Jesus was not just an orator. He wasn't just another wise man. He wasn't a Socrates, uh, Confucius, or, or, or Plato. Uh, he literally held the power of life and death at the tip of his tongue. And his countenance, meaning his face, was like the sun shining in all its strength. Now, imagine glancing at the sun, you know, the hottest day of the year, on um, the clearest uh, day of the year, and you'll get uh, a small idea of what uh, uh, John saw and how powerful uh, the energy and the power that was coming off of Jesus's face was. Now, I, I hinted at this before, but this is important. I, I, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. We tend to think of Jesus as he was when he walked the dirt, dusty streets of, uh, of Galilee, but not how he is today. And for that reason, often our faith is immature. Often we are not able to grapple with issues the way we should because our revelation of him is not yet complete. Again, this is why this book is in the Bible. And when I saw him, watch what happened. This is John. I mean, this, this guy has been in the most powerful Holy Spirit meetings uh, on the planet. Uh, this guy has walked with Jesus, saw Jesus' greatest miracles. But nonetheless, I fell, this is what it says, I fell at his feet as dead. John could not physically handle the glory that showed up in his cave. Many thought that he was in a cave at, at this time. And here's the deal. If your vision of God doesn't take your breath away, you haven't really seen him yet. You really don't have a revelation of who he is yet. But after he falls to the ground and, and he's out and uh, 
Jesus doesn't kick him to the curb and say, well, you know, you, you needed to exercise more and be stronger to be able to handle my glory. None of that. Jesus immediately laid his right hand on me, he says, saying to me, do not be afraid. If God never makes you uncomfortable, you don't know him yet. You don't know him well enough yet because God will uh, sometimes unnerve you. The things he asks you to do will, will deeply challenge you. So what I'm going to do, though, in the interest of time, I'm going to skip to verse 20. We're going to pick up those two verses I'm about to skip uh, next week, and we're going to continue to go line by line. I want to reiterate, these messages are full of a lot of information. And in order for you to catch it all, you may have to listen to it once or twice, and eventually the light bulb's going to uh, really, really come on. Right now, you can only catch a little bit because your mind's only so fast. But, but with this, uh, uh, if you invest just a little extra time in going over this once or twice, uh, I think you're going to be super strengthened, and I think you're going to really walk away with an incredible uh, revelation of Jesus. Verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand. Now he's about to explain the mystery. And the seven golden lamps uh, stand. So he's about to explain what the stars are and what the lampstands are, what they represent. He says this, the seven stars are the angels, literally messengers. Though I, I do think God assigns uh, angels to specific churches. It, it even seems that um, God assigns angels to people because Jesus was talking about the children and he said, let them come to me because God forever beholds uh, uh, their angels before him. But, but with that said, um, most scholars believe here that Jesus is not referring uh, to the angels, though I believe churches probably have those. Uh, he's referring here to the pastors because the term literally means messengers. So he's speaking to the pastors or those stars represent the pastors of the seven churches. Did you know that God sees your pastor as a star? This is how God uh, sees his pastor. So when you meet a real genuine uh, pastor, love on them because God values their sacrifice and, and uh, God, God cares uh, about them. Every pastor, this is important though, will not shine as brightly as the next, but it takes all the stars to brighten up the nighttime sky. So, you know, some pastors, you know, be more public than others. Some will shine a little brighter. Some will be a little different color, but God's using them all to, to bring light into the darkness. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. Now, we just read that, uh, it's not just my opinion, the seven lampstands represent the church. We are the light of the world. If we don't shine, uh, no one's ever going to see the light. But where was Jesus standing? If you remember in verse 13, he was standing in the middle of the seven lampstands. Why? Why is Jesus standing in the church? Because that is where Christ's heart is. And if you want to be where the Lord is. It's vital that you uh, connect uh, to a scripture-oriented, a Holy Spirit-validated church because that's where Christ is. That's where his heart is. And if you love him, you'll also love for what uh, love what he uh, cares for. And a lot of people have given up on the church because they had some bad experience. But my question is, do you love the Lord? Do you love Jesus? And if you love him, you'll continue to love 
the things and the people that he loves. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the what? Seven churches. Another question. Do you remember what the lampstands were made out of? Well, the lampstands were actually made of gold. Now, this is important. In the next few weeks, we are going to watch Jesus through John address the seven churches. And in these seven letters, we're going to see faults. We're going to see commendations. We're going to see promises. But what, what I want you to see, though Jesus says, hey, I have this against you. Yeah, yeah, you know, you're doing good here, but hey, you need to work here. What I need you to see is though they had faults, though they had foibles and foils, Jesus still saw them as golden. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.